A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. and welcome. I am your host, Emigan Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode of the podcast is Michelle Thieu, the CEO of Cruelty Free International, and Cruelty Free International is an independent global animal protection organization. And I asked Michelle to join me on the show after one of my beauty colleagues, a shout out to Ashlyn Cornerton, suggested she'd be an excellent resource when we were chatting about how confusing the topic of animal testing is, especially in beauty. And I was saying to Ashling how whenever I post a makeup video on my Instagram feed, I will nearly always have someone message me to say that I'm supporting a brand that quote unquote tests on animals and how awful a human being I am. And it's that phrasing that's really important, tests on animals, because it's present. And the insinuation is that it's happening right now. And obviously by me sharing that on my Instagram feed, I am somehow endorsing supporting animal testing, which is not my intention. And so when people do say that to me, I do bristle a bit because my understanding of the situation was that animal testing was well on the outs, that laws had changed quite a while ago and that uh, it had been so heavily diluted that animal testing really was a legacy issue and not necessarily something that was currently happening. And I thought that uh, back in the 80s when the campaign started by people like Anita Roddick in the body shop, I thought that that was when we really made a dent in the problem. Uh, because that was when the conversation was brought into the mainstream and lots changed and lots did change I'm sort of I'm simplifying the situation during my research for this episode and when I spoke to Michelle I have to just mere culpa I got it completely wrong I really have been wrong on this topic uh, more than I'm more wrong than I would like to be but I'm not going to give myself an easy time as it were but I have to cut myself some slack because it is not surprising that it's confusing considering there are tons of loopholes 
that people and brands can wriggle through in order to continue to keep testing on animals, even if you might think that they aren't. There's no one global legislation, so the situation varies from territory to territory, and to be up to date on all of them is a challenge, but that's what Michelle does. And there is a ton of greenwashing out there, which genuinely muddies the water even further. So brands who are saying that they're doing the right things by saying, hey, look over here, this is what we're doing. But by doing so, they're taking the attention of uh, perhaps other things that they're doing that might be still contributing to the problem. Do you, do you see? It's a mess. So, and let's, let's not even begin to throw in things like sustainability, which is a fairly recent addition to the conversation, clean beauty, what it means to be a vegan product and some other curveballs that have been thrown into the mix and have really made this whole issue more complicated and much harder to understand than it ever has been. So if this is a subject that you're passionate about or you know very little about, Michelle is thorough and extremely clear. And like me, when I went back and re-listened, you may want to take notes. This episode is jam-packed with information. I mean, when I say jam-packed with information, I mean really, it is info-rich. There were several times, even when I was listening and taking notes, that I had to go back and rewind bits because I just thought, wow, okay, I really hadn't digested that when I was in interview mode. And we go all around the world discussing mandatory animal testing in China, whether that's still happening, what it means, how it affects the supply chain, whether the supply chain even matters in this conversation. We discuss partial bans in Australia, which is relatively new legislation, but we discuss how that has impacted the conversation in the situation. And also how Brexit impacted the progress that's been made here in the UK towards ending animal testing and also the situation in Europe generally. So Michelle explains what to look out for when you're shopping for beauty products, the questions you need to be asking and why it's important for consumer voices to be heard. So if you're listening to this and you have a favorite brand and you do a little bit of research and Michelle talks about the links that you can click through to find out if, uh, so Leaping Bunny, for example, if you go to Leaping Bunny and you, or you go to the Coolty Free International website and search for your brand and they are not on there, they are not approved, you have every right to send them a letter, to write to them, send them an email or whatever and ask them why. And it's because the pressure from consumers over the years, since the 80s, since these campaigns really started, it has been the pressure from consumers that has made brands and businesses change their practices and also help organisations like Cruelty Free International help implement new laws and legislation. So consumer voice is so important and so valuable in this conversation. But in order to be a useful voice in this conversation, you need to be informed. And that is hopefully what you are going to be by the end of this episode. So Michelle has been with Cruelty Free International for over 20 years. So she has a wealth of knowledge uh, spanning two decades. Uh, so we should probably get right to her expertise, shouldn't we? So just be reassured, all of the links to everything that we discuss will obviously be in the show notes, including uh, Cruelty Free International's website, where you can find uh, the search function to search for your favorite brand, to see if they are part of this problem or not part of this problem and anything else and obviously you may have lots of questions from this episode so please feel free afterwards if you have anything that you would like to discuss email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com and put michelle thew in the title that's t-h-e-w for the surname and i will uh, forward to michelle uh, perhaps get her back on to do a little bit of a clarifying q a if there's anything that still doesn't feel particularly clear but here she is i'm so glad that she was free to come on the show it is michelle thew from cruelty free international 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 on the emma gun show a very warm welcome to the podcast michelle thew the ceo of cruelty free international here to help demystify a topic that is still incredibly complicated. So welcome to the Emma Gunn Show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Emma. Delighted to be here. 
And it is a complicated topic, isn't it? Because what we're going to be unpicking here today is the issue of animal cruelty, animal testing, any of those things, because it's a big uh, umbrella term, I guess, uh, within the beauty industry specifically, but just in general as well, this idea of what's really going on around the world and if animal testing is still taking place, and if so, how? Yes, it is a complicated subject. And also things are changing all of the time. So I've been actually leading Cruelty Free International for, gosh, around 20 years now. And during that time have seen a lot of change and progress towards a more ethical world that we all want to see, but also lots of challenges. So it's great to have the opportunity just to unpick that for you. Okay, so here already I'm I'm hearing progress, which is wonderful. Uh, and I think I may, also, I may also have an idea about what you mean by challenges. But I want to try and meet listeners where they are today. And as I was just saying to Michelle before we started recording, this is a topic that is, uh, there's a lot of information out there. Not all of it is current, but a lot of it is repeated on social media, wherever it might be that you're reading these things. And it is inaccurate. That's not to say there isn't a grain of truth in it somewhere, but there's a lot of inaccurate information. So I guess let's start with just the really simple question of, for anyone who wants to know, is animal testing still taking place? Is it still taking place? Yes, it most definitely is. I think there have been perceptions in the past that maybe this was a thing of the past and sadly it isn't. So we're looking at in general, um, you know, well over 100 million animals who are used internationally. Even if you're looking at something like cosmetics and beauty, there could still be potentially up to half a million animals used in testing. So this is something that is very much in the public mind but it's not something that sadly we've completely moved away from yet. There is progress that hopefully we can talk about and there are definitely things that people can do to help us with this change, but we're not there yet. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the progress. Talk to me about when, when that really started to gather pace, because I'm guessing you said you've been with, uh, you've been with them for uh, 20 years so you've, you've been doing this for a while. I'm guessing, was there a point where things really did start to move? Yes, there was. So actually, we've been using animals to test, say, if you consumer products for well over 40 years. Um, and actually, there was a lot of kind of awareness started to build around this issue in the UK and then internationally in the 1980s. So you will have seen campaigning um, companies like The Body Shop, for example, the campaigns that we did with Anita Roddick way back then that were really putting this issue onto the high street. And since then, there has been a lot of change and development. So what's been constant is the consumer concern about this. Opinion poll after opinion poll shows, particularly if you look at beauty products, people do not want animals to suffer for cosmetics. So that's the constant What has changed, however, is that we've seen more and more governments respond to that pressure and critically, as I hope we'll have lots of time to talk about, lots of companies starting to do Mm. the right. So change really started to happen in the 1980s. And then there was a campaign raged for well over a decade. 
And then we saw change in the UK with the national ban on testing of cosmetics. And then in 2013, after much campaigning and lobbying, there was a final shift where the European Union passed legislation to start to bring this practice to an end. And since then, we've seen country after country internationally follow. And now we're working right to the level of the United Nations to try and get a global resolution on animal testing for cosmetics. And a big part of that change has been the response of companies who are wanting to go cruelty free and have joined the campaign. Mm. And just to that, when you talk about consumer demand, there's uh, was 8.3 million people signed a call by Cruelty Free International and the Body Shop for a global end to cosmetics and animal testing in 2018. Absolutely right. So that's part of the global campaign. So we looked at the world and thought there are lots of countries who are doing the right thing and moving in the right direction, but this needs a global signal. So we we took that campaign right to the doors of the United Nations and we've had you know round tables at the UN on this issue. We've started to put it onto the agenda as a really core part of sustainable development. The United Nations has a series of sustainable development goals and we think there's an animal-shaped hole in those that we want to fill and we think that there is action that needs to be taken and you're right we took 8.3 million signatures to the UN as part of a joint call that we did with the body shop so that really illustrates the strength of feeling what's really great today is that it used to be you know us as campaigners on one side with a few innovative and enlightened companies and I'm looking back you know two decades Now we're at the point where we're going, like with that example, to the UN with companies to seek Mm. that change. So more and more it's us saying alongside really progressive cruelty free companies that we don't want this to happen anymore. Given that this is a topic around which there is still a lot of confusion, is keeping people confused a delay tactic? that some brands, institutions, businesses can use in order to actually avoid implementing real and actionable change? It's a really interesting question because um, there's definitely confusion in the marketplace. And actually, we formed together with other organisations, we formed the Leaping Bunny programme um, as a way to cut through that consumer confusion so that there's one globally recognised standard for brands to adhere to. And we can talk a little about mm-hmm. what that requires for brands. And that was because we saw lots of brands making their own claims or using their own rabbits on packaging or you know, saying not tested on animals. Was that just the finished product? Was that actually the ingredients? What did that mean? So that's the reason why we stand behind this one internationally recognised approval programme, because we want to cut through that confusion for consumers, because it's very difficult to know when you go into a store and you pick up a bottle and you see a claim, what does that really mean? And a large part of what myself and my team do is helping consumers to navigate that. And I listen, as I was saying to Michelle before we started recording, that for many, many years in the early 2000s, I started on magazines, glossy magazines, and you'd go to launches and every now and again, somebody would ask the question about animal testing and you'd sort of everyone, you could feel the bristle, you could feel the change in temperature in the room. And if you ever did ask that question, it did seem, and we are going back 20 years, so let's just be fair, I guess, but you would get a politician's response to that question which didn't give you a definitive yes and didn't give you a definitive no but tried to sort of 
it's not touching me, it's not on me kind of answer to whether or not animals were involved in the formulation and the development of those products. And that's a really good point you made a minute ago about this uh, confusion and the fact that a product now, today, in its current incarnation, iteration, might not be tested on animals. But there may be a legacy because a part of an ingredient may have been tested on animals 20 years ago. And that ingredient, which now perhaps isn't tested on animals, but previously was, does exist in that product. So does that mean that you would class that as a product that has been tested mm-hmm. on animals? These are all really great forensic <laughs> questions. So probably as the person who was in the room asking the question 20 years ago, um, I can tell you that things have definitely evolved. Mm-hmm. So your point about products and ingredients is really important and about where you draw a line. And a lot of the answers and responses that historically you would get from brands would be about finished product testing. They would say this product or our products are not tested on animals. And actually, that's not where animal testing or toxicity testing of any kind takes place. It's about the ingredients. So you need to understand what's happening in the ingredients and you need to understand the supply chain of that company. And that's what the Leaping Bunny does. We go from the point of the product to the ingredient right down to the level of the raw material and we ask questions about that what we are trying to do however and this is right to your point about the legacy and the history is we're trying to encourage brands to do the right thing so we want this to be a forward-looking program because animal testing has been very endemic so for you know decades we have used animals as the default testing mechanism Now we're moving away from that, but there will still be a history. I mean, many common ingredients, water has had animal testing on it. So these are common ingredients in products, but what we ask brands to do is adopt a fixed cutoff date, a date beyond which they will no longer test. And for brands that are in Europe, we're usually looking at 2013 Mm -hmm. when the first European legislation came in. So we're saying, look, draw a line in the sand, say that there's no longer testing, forensically interrogate your supply chain so we know that it's all of the ingredients, everything that's within your responsibility, and critically, for transparency, open yourself up to audit. So yes, a company cannot say never has there ever been any testing on any ingredient because historically there may have been, but they can say we have committed from this point forward for our products and our ingredients, and we will open that to audit and we'll be transparent and we'll move forward. And that's what the Leaping Bunny requires. And that's another really interesting point you made. It's not that a finished product is then, okay, we've made this incredible mascara, time to put it on a bunny. It's it's not about the end product, it's about all of the component parts of that product and really interrogating all of those different things, which could take you on a global treasure hunt, really, or treasure is probably the wrong word. And that's exactly what we do. So I think, you know, there's a there's been a misconception that this is about applying lipstick to a rabbit. And actually, that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about ingredients. So essentially, ingredients and chemical substances that make up the products that we all use every day. And we ask brands to understand their supply chain, to open their supply chain, to look at where all of those ingredients are coming from, trace them right back to the raw material and the person who's supplying that raw material and get that information. And then when they've gathered and got their arms around all of that data, we can identify whether there's any animal testing. 
The other misconception sometimes is that it's about the individual company. You know, the cosmetics company, somehow you would go to their headquarters and you'd open a door and there would be a room full of animals because they directly were doing the testing. And actually, that's not how this works. This is about contract testing and manufacturers and suppliers all over the world. So our program is about interrogating that supply chain and what that company has responsibility for, what they buy, what they order, and then making sure that all of that complies with our gold standard. Are you are you basically describing that there are essentially businesses like big warehouses full of animals and they offer the service of send us your products and we will test them here? So it's off-site, if you will, but that's essentially where the testing takes place. It's not the individual business that has animal testing on site. It wouldn't be the individual cosmetics company, but cosmetics companies are buying ingredients from suppliers and those suppliers are you know, buying ingredients and those ingredients may have been tested, but they may have been tested in a contract testing laboratory that does testing of a whole range of ingredients. It's not that the company directly tests. So that statement that used to be, you know, we do not conduct animal testing or we do not conduct or commission, you have to go further than that. You're asking the company to take responsibility for what they buy and how they manufacture and how they formulate and what's in their products. And it's getting your arm around all of that, which is what our approval process does. I think what I misunderstood for a while, and I'm just going to be honest, as I always am on this podcast, because uh, you only learn from mistakes, is thinking that at some point it was necessary for ingredients that I used, consumed in my cosmetics, my skincare, whatever it might be. I thought that I, they had to be tested on animals in order to establish whether or not they would be safe for my use. And then in knowing that we were having this conversation and doing the research and actually reading how far removed the data is from doing using a human versus an animal. Yeah, okay, you can use a chimpanzee, but that doesn't mean that you're getting like for like because fundamentally it's completely different biology. So in many senses, it's not even necessary or worth doing. It's not the best test that you can use. No, and that's that's a, a good point and another point about progress because we have always believed as an organisation that this testing on animals was not necessary. We've always believed that there were more humane, effective, non-animal methods that could be used. And I can tell you a little about some of yeah. those because that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um But actually, there have always been historically thousands of existing safe ingredients that companies could already use and draw upon in order to make their products. And the great brands who have been cruelty free for decades have been doing that. You're right to point out this issue about the science, however, because this is now not just an argument about what consumers want. And clearly, um, the public does not want to see this testing. It's always been a moral and ethical argument. But actually, there is a huge scientific advantage now to using non-animal methods. They're cheaper, they're faster. And to your point, they're much more reliable and representative of humans. So, for example, If you want to look at um, the effect of a product on skin, for example, an ingredient on skin irritancy or skin sensitization, instead of, you know, removing the fur from a guinea pig and applying it to their back, Mm. you can actually now use reconstructed models of human skin. 
So you can actually grow in a laboratory skin models and you can apply ingredients to those and you're getting a much not only more humane, but a more reliable, more relevant test. So now we've got not just morals and ethics and consumer opinion pushing in in this direction, but we've also got a vast range of non-animal methods that can be used to test cosmetics ingredients. And that also means that we're pushing at much more of an open door. Is is that the EpiSkin? Is that L'Oreal that created that? That's right. So that's one of the ones that was developed. Um, And techniques like that have revolutionized what it's possible for, for brands to do. So, you know, we have always believed morally and ethically that this was not acceptable. But now we've also got all of these great non-animal methods, which just add more and more weight to our argument about why this isn't necessary. You mentioned as well a little while ago, and I must pick up on it, about EU regulation. And so I'm sure that there are some eagle-eared listeners who would have thought, will Brexit have affected that for, for me? I'm in the UK. And I know this is a global audience, but let's just, has Brexit affected any of the progress that you have made? Well... The European Union passed the legislation finally in 2013. And, you know, there are challenges to that legislation because new chemical regulations mean that existing ingredients in cosmetics products can potentially be tested under other regulatory regimes. So we're not out of the woods, but that was a great step forward. Um, The UK had a ban which predated that 2013 legislation, and they have indicated that they are going to maintain that. So that shouldn't change as far as the cosmetics bans are concerned. However, um, there are real challenges around increasing testing of chemicals and the UK government will have to look at their approach to chemicals testing now that they've exited the European Union. That's very much a live debate and we are pushing the UK government to make sure that we don't see a return of the testing of cosmetics ingredients under other legislation. Goodness, because I remember when Brexit happened, some of my uh, my beauty colleagues saying, well, we might be able to get some decent prescription strength stuff over the borders now in the way that you couldn't. And obviously it was, it was lighthearted. But when you hear that actually it might be uh, affecting those sorts of the progress that you've made there, that's... That's really quite heartbreaking. Yes, I mean, there are there are challenges in the European Union as well around chemicals legislation and around things like REACH, which is the European-wide chemicals regime. What we're saying to the UK government is actually this is an opportunity. If you want to take Brexit as an opportunity for animals, here's your chance. Mm-hmm. You can go on a different path. You don't have to follow European chemicals legislation, for example. We're going to be creating our own regime. What we're saying is, can please listen to the very clear will of the British public. We were one of the first countries internationally to implement legislation. This has always been at the core of British public opinion. It's important that the UK government in developing our own chemicals legislation, now we don't have to follow the European Union, make sure that they protect what we gained in terms of cosmetics testing on animals. And that's our current call to them. Is the will of the UK consumer being clouded by the fact that we are hearing about progress, we are seeing leaping bunnies and various other logos on our products, so we may think that we don't need to be as vocal about what we want from brands and businesses. Could that work against you? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's always the difficulty with some progress. So, you know, it's a very difficult message to say there is progress. We are making progress. However, we're not there yet. And Mm. so it's really important that consumers still remain vigilant. And that's why now looking for brands that have that leaping bunny symbol, buying from brands that are approved by Cruelty Free International is just as important as it ever was, particularly since there are all these issues around ingredients and chemicals testing. We want to make sure um, that consumers still buy until we get to the point where, you know, there is a really comprehensive, solid international ban. Consumers have still got to be very alert to what they're buying. And the message that we give consumers is, please, if you have a favourite brand, that you like to buy from, please write to them and ask them to sign up to the Leaping Bunny program. I mean, increasingly more and more high street brands are, so the choices are getting much wider than they ever were. But if you have a favourite that still isn't on the list, write and ask them why not, and we'd be really happy to reach out to them. Do you have a form letter on your website? Yeah, we can. If you go to the website, then you can get in touch with us. Um, Just contact us at Cruelty Free. Go to cruelty-free-international.org. You can see there a list of all of the brands that are currently Leaping Bunny approved. And if your favourite isn't listed, ask them why not. Excellent. Okay. Now let's talk about those standards and how we know whether they're legitimate and what they actually mean. So if you're if someone's standing in a chemist, beauty retailer, e-tailer or a department store today, and they're making a decision about which topical skincare or cosmetic product to purchase, how confident can they be that the choice they make won't support testing on animals? From my point of view, the, the right thing to do is to look for the leaping bunny. So the leaping bunny is Cruelty Free International's um, programme symbolized by that iconic leaping bunny logo that you may have seen on packaging and that's really the international gold standard and we run that program for brands all around the world and we ask them to do a number of very key things in order to be approved it's not simply a tick box exercise you can't just write back to us and say oh we don't conduct our commission testing and it's over um we ask brands to apply that fixed cutoff date which is that immovable date beyond which they will no longer test that we were talking about earlier um they can't have any finished product testing they can't have ingredient testing after that date they have to have a supplier monitoring system in place so they have to track through right down to the level of the raw material and critically they have to open themselves to regular independent audit and that transparency we think is really important so this is as rigorous a program as we can operate and it's for brands who we can say to consumers they have done the best that they can to remove animal testing from their supply chain. So it's looking for that leaping bunny logo that's really important. Okay, and you mentioned global there. So let's talk about the fact that um, progress is, there's been a lot of progress in some places and less than others. And I think it's it's very difficult to have this conversation about animal testing without talking about China and the fact there is this legacy that if you sell your product in China, you have agreed to animal testing of that product before it is um, before you're allowed to sell it. And because China's a huge market, I think it's what is a hundred billion dollar market or something. Obviously, brands want to sell in China. So what is the situation there? And does it dictate that a brand that might be certified here um, 
therefore is saying, yeah, I want to be certified here, but not in China. Is it as simple as a black or white as that? I'm guessing not. Well, this is a really good time to be having this conversation because so much has changed about China in particular. So you're absolutely right that a few years ago, historically, there was a mandate in China for products that were sold in the rest of the world had to face mandatory animal testing that was triggered on entry to the Chinese market. So if you were a brand you had cruelty-free credentials, but you wanted to export into China, you would have to trigger mandatory animal testing. So for many years, brands selling in China have not been able to achieve Leaping Bunny. So that was the position. We really wanted to do something about that because we didn't want great brands who were Leaping Bunny approved, who were trying to do the right thing, to have to turn away from that opportunity because that is a great market. So to choose between, you know, their market and their ethics didn't feel right to us. So, you know, we really appreciate all of those brands that had stayed out of the Chinese market and had had chosen to be Leaping Bunny. But we started a programme a few years ago in conjunction with the Chinese authorities and our partners in China to try and find a route through So we launched initially a pilot programme to try and get a brand through onto the market in China without animal testing. So um, there was provision for a brand that was domestically manufacturing. So not importing everything directly, but manufacturing in territory. And the first product that we launched there, the first company was Bulldog. So the men's skincare. Um, And we launched them into the market as part of our pilot programme. That was really successful. And since then, there have been changes in China and also changes coming from the Chinese authorities. So now there are routes through for brands who want to domestically manufacture. And excitingly, about a year ago, there's a new route now for brands potentially who want to. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Import. So we are now looking at what will be required for a Leaping Bunny brand. Um, And if your home country has the right procedures in place, then it is possible for a brand now to start importing into China and still retain Leaping Bunny status. So it's very early stages. This is very new. And we've not seen lots of brands exploring this route. It's complicated. There's a lot of due diligence to do. 
but we are moving towards the place where um, it won't be an automatic assumption that if a brand's in China, they animal test. So what we say to our Leaping Bunny brands now is, if you would like to explore that market, talk to us. And we're going very carefully, step by step, to retain that consumer confidence for trying to see if we can make an import route work too. Gosh, okay. So, because it was mandatory for a while, wasn't it? But then did it become optional, the testing? And I think, was it that shift that was quite confusing? It was mandatory. And then there was this um, domestic production route. And that started to confuse things because... You then had to ask the question, well, I see a brand is in China, but how are they in China? Because uh, for a while, for a period of time, if you were packing and filling in China, then you could be exempt from animal testing. But if you were directly importing your whole product, you couldn't be. And it's that final piece of the chain around import that's changing. So that's now why we are talking to our brands about what this potentially means for them, because we want China to be a market like no other. You know, we just want it to be a market that brands can access. Um, But we have to do that carefully and we have to carry consumer confidence with us. Yeah, I had a couple of listener questions actually come in about this particular issue. And the phrasing was what really interested me. The phrasing was, I would like to know which other countries demand tests on finished products on animals. I know China isn't the only one. And I guess what you've just described is it, it really isn't, it's, it's not that. No, China was the only country that had mandatory additional animal testing for products that were otherwise safe. Now, of course, of countries around the world still allow animal testing for beauty products. So, you know, if you're in a market like... 80% did you say, sorry. Still still have no legislation prohibiting this. So if you're in the US or you're in Japan, you have a choice as a company whether you do animal testing or not. The difference with China was that existing products that were already proven safe and already in use on the market were then triggering additional animal testing simply to enter the market. That's what made it unique. What about this belief that if you aren't testing on animals, you are somehow producing a less efficient, efficacious product? And I'm going back to, I'm going to be honest, Michelle, it's probably like the mid-90s, when I wanted to buy cruelty-free products and like the only place I could find them legitimately find them was the health food shop and the packaging was awful and the quality was garbage and that is another legacy I think that has continued in that if you go for a product that hasn't been through this testing that you are somehow getting a lower quality product is that something you hear? I think historically we may have heard that oh is this safe which goes back to part of our earlier conversation, you know, if something isn't tested on animals, is it safe? We've got to absolutely smash that association between safety and animal testing, because actually the safe, effective tests are non-animal tests. So that's, that's about progress and science and about what's most relevant for us as humans. We're not 70 kilogram rats. Mm. We are humans and we have human responses. So actually this is about science. So Hang on. you have to break so, that link. I'm so sorry. Do they breed rats to become 70 kilograms? Or no, is that- just as humans, we're not. No, <laughs> I'm just relating us to humans. No, less, less, something less to worry about. Oh, um, 
So actually, there is now, um, you know, science is on our side. So effective testing is non-animal. And then to your point about brands, gosh, you know, Garnier, Moulton Brown, Covergirl, Liz Earle, you, you name it, they're, they're all part of the Leaping Bunny family. So we have now a huge range of brands to choose from, um, from, you know, small scale startups, through to multinationals and there's you know there's no impact on on quality or range of products one of the things that has really come to light over the course of the six years of this podcast is the amount of forward thinkers and entrepreneurs in the beauty industry and how the beauty industry has actually really fostered uh creators with an idea and turned them into mm -hmm. incredible businesses is that one of the reasons why you think you've been able to make progress? Because a lot of these creatives don't just come with a business idea and a dream to create a certain product, but they also come with a, a moral compass that is embedded in the DNA of their brand. And it sounds like you're working with brands who really do have that sense of this, is, this has to be a part of my story. This is a non-negotiable, which is probably a slightly different journey to market than beauty products, brands, and positioning that we may have previously been aware of. Absolutely. And if I look back over my time and this journey, very much started with me knocking on the doors of established brands. Um, probably was that person in the room asking mm -hmm. the question that you were talking about. Um, knocking on the doors of brands and saying, please, can you, please, can you? And actually, now we've really seen that reverse. So, you know, the growth in ethical consumerism, the really importance that consumers place on sustainability and on values is really driving change. So now not only do we have, you know, major multinationals that we're working with who are embracing this, but also you're absolutely right. We have brands that come to us and from the get go in their DNA, they want this to be part of who they are. And so we have brands that come to us that say, I want to launch with Leaping Bunny approval because it's important to me. So we're definitely seeing those entrepreneurs and those startups come to us initially. And it's just a non-negotiable part of their journey that if they're going to launch a brand, they want them to be cruelty free. So now we have a whole range from those major high street multinationals um, through to those innovative startups who have it very much part of their DNA. Um, and sustainability and animal testing is just part of the conversation for beauty now. That was one of the things I was going to ask actually next is about does the animal testing sustainability conversation happen in tandem? Are they part and parcel of the same agenda? They are sometimes, but not always. And um, one of my great calls to the beauty industry is to make sure that animal testing doesn't get missed off on that sustainability journey. Um, so, you know, we have had examples where a brand will say they are green or they're organic, but you know, they're not leaping bunny or they haven't done the right thing around animal testing. So these things should very much be integrated. I think they are in consumers' minds. I think people who will go in to buy something and see that it's green or see that it's organic will make an assumption that that also means that it's cruelty free. And actually, that isn't always the case. So we want to see animal testing very much in the, the heart of sustainability, because we know from the feedback that we get from brands and from the industry in general, that if you say cosmetics and you're talking about ethics, the first question that comes up is animal testing.
this is still the first question that consumers ask. So for a lot of brands, it's integrated into their sustainability journey, but not always. And we need to make sure that it is. As you've seen a cultural shift towards consumer demand for products that haven't been tested on animals, has have you seen an increase in the way brands respond? Have you seen them responding in the wrong way? So have you seen brands presenting as cruelty-free, for example, while using loopholes in the current legislation or marketing tactics to make consumers believe they are part of the solution, as we just talked about, assumptions, when actually that purchase will be contributing to the problem that they want to end? Mm. I think it was more confusing in the past um, where brands would make all kinds of claims. Um, And actually, I think now there's more visibility and there's definitely more awareness of programs like Leaping Bunny. So consumers are very quick. If a brand makes a claim and claims to be cruelty free or claims to have great ethics, it won't take very long before a consumer will write to them and say, well, you're claiming this, where's your proof? Mm. So we've talked a lot about transparency and about audit and about proof points and why the Leaping Bunny matters. And so increasingly consumers will be the first to ask questions of brands who are doing that. Um, And that's great. That's what we've encouraged. You know, we used to many years ago, actually, you know, produce a kind of how to understand the packaging, um, you know, the kinds of things that brands would say on pack and how you demystified some of that. And I think consumers are very savvy and very educated about these issues. And so if they see a brand making a claim, they will immediately interrogate that and ask what's behind it. And that's all to the good. Well, because there's been a lot of greenwashing, especially over the last few years with the sustainability conversation, where a brand will say, this packaging is now sustainable. And when you actually interrogate the change that's been made, it's a pretty small one. And there are still component parts that might not be recyclable. Or it's again, it's the assumption it's saying something that Mm. would engender faith and trust. But actually, it's not really the whole story. Yeah, and that's, that goes back to the point we were making about what's on a bottle. So mm-hmm. in, in my world, um, picking up a bottle and saying not tested on animals is pretty meaningless because right. if that's just a finished product claim, that's not where animal testing takes place. That's why I'm so passionate about an independent approval program so you know that a brand has met a certain standard. And also, you know, There has been confusion because people see something that looks green. Um, You know, putting a leaf on a bottle doesn't mean that it's free from animal testing. So that's why, again, we say, look, it's really simple. You look for this approval program and then, you know, a brand has done all they can. One of the other movements that's really taken a pace over the last few years is clean beauty. Yes. The uh, uh, the premise of that really, if you're sort of fundamentally taking it back, is that chemicals are bad. Chemicals are bad for humans. They can they endocrine disruptors. They are toxic to our blood, to our system, and therefore you want natural ingredients. But natural ingredients are subject to the same testing as a chemical, right? Mm. Mm. And actually, this is an area where consumers have to be very alert. <laughs> Because, you know, we've seen calls for animal testing 
to test the environmental impact of ingredients. So some chemicals, you know, are there are calls for more animal testing under some of these international testing and chemical regimes. So you have to be very clear as a consumer about, you know, what you're actually looking for and really interrogate some of those claims. It, you know, just because a product is labeled as clean beauty doesn't necessarily mean that it's free from animal testing. So you have to ask the right questions of brands and you have to know what they've actually done around animal testing as a distinct specific issue. It's the same with vegan. You know, this is another growth area and a lot of consumers will want their products to be cruelty free and vegan. But just because a product is vegan doesn't necessarily mean it's cruelty free. So, again, you've got to ask specific questions around animal testing. So don't assume because something is labeled as organic or is coming from the ethics of clean beauty or it's labeled as vegan, that that necessarily means there's no animal testing for those ingredients. It's a very specific and additional thing you have to look for. So it isn't the case that we're kind of out of the woods at all and that you can buy indiscriminately if you see a new product, think, oh, I'd like to give that a try without asking these questions. It is important for the consumer to take that on. Absolutely still is. And I know, you know, I I do feel for consumers because we've taken them on a 20 year journey and I'm saying to them, it's still not over. (laughs) And I wish it were over, Um, but we're not there yet. So, you know, that. Everything is going in the right direction as far as, you know, companies that are doing the right thing. There's more and more choice for consumers. So it's easier now to make these choices. But you do still have to ask the question. And we try to make that easier by having a central approval system. But you still have to be aware when you're shopping. So essentially, is is the end game what you do uh, being legislated? Yes, what we want is for every country and every company to do the right thing. So that's why as an organisation, we're working on a range of different initiatives, both to get legislation that is robust legislation um, to end animal testing for cosmetics internationally, but also in place of that for all brands to do the right thing. So it shouldn't have to be you know, such a minefield for individual consumers. Um, We want every country and every company to do the right thing. Um, And we we can bring this to an end. And it's very clear that this is what consumers want. And it is, is it a case of just every country, every territory adhering to the same rules? Would that, is that the end of it? That would certainly help. (laughs) And adhering to rules that definitely bring testing for all ingredients that are going into cosmetics products as an end. What we're trying to avoid is that, you know, we get into a position we have with the European Union where we've passed this great legislation, but actually there's another bit of legislation over here that says you can test these chemicals. So we want to make sure that this is comprehensive. And because that, you know, that really is difficult to achieve, but we don't have to wait for that because great brands are doing the right thing. So brands really can make a difference and consumers supporting those businesses now today can make a difference. You know, there are lots of issues where it's very difficult to see as an individual where you can have that impact. But actually shopping for beauty is an area where you can have a direct impact as a consumer and we know that those voices to brands make a difference not only to their behavior but also them standing behind us as we're going to lobby governments as we're going to talk to regulators so consumers empowering brands that are doing the right thing 
directly helps us achieve that mission. Who in the industry, whether it's an individual, a brand or a business or a retailer, has really helped? Because you said that it is about you. You've now got people who come with you, these creative brands. Who's been really, uh, who's really helped you make change? Oh, so many now. Um, Actually, what I think is really interesting is if you look back over time, you had one or two really standout brands, those kind of legacy brands that always did the right thing. It was in their DNA from the beginning. So the body shop, for example, Um, Liz Earle. If you look at supermarkets on the high street, the co-op, always done the right thing in terms of their ethics. But what's really exciting now in terms of creating that change is that we've got more and more brands joining us. So um, you've got everyone from, you know, Covergirl in the US, part of Coty, um, Soap and Glory, Superdrug, Molten Brown, Aesop, um, Neil's Yard, for example. Um, lots of really great brands who range from very small startups right through to major multinationals. So um, if your listeners go onto the website, that hopefully they'll be really impressed by seeing a lot of the, the very familiar names that, that are now on board. And that's both, you know, supermarkets from M&S to Waitrose right down to very niche cosmetics brands. Are there any brands that you would like to shake and get them on board? I'd like to shake everyone that isn't currently Leaping Bunny. So if they're not on that list, then they're ripe for shaking, I think. (laughs) Because it must be frustrating because what you've just explained a couple of minutes ago is that there are loopholes and a chemical that's used in a beauty product, they can maybe say, oh, well, it technically could be defined by this. So it doesn't need to be tested. There are probably some quite excellent lawyers who read the fine print and say, no, no, we don't have to. We can do it this way. And I guess you're working that, against that as well. Yeah, and that's why an approval program is so important because we say to consumers, look, this is not about corporate statements that you may read on website. It's not about, you know, a bunny that you may see on packaging. It's about that approval process. We're very transparent about what that requires. Mm. There are challenges for brands. We want to reward the brands that are doing all that they can. And there's the list shop from that list if they're not on that list ask them why not Mm. we may have to put a form letter or something on the show notes for this so people can just literally cut and paste into their email and give them the right email addresses yes (laughs) um i also read that a cult beauty and they're obviously a huge e-tailer here in the uk and around the world and a couple of the brands that work with them uh like alexi has been really key in helping get this out there and really making those changes as well is that right yeah some brands do um you know brands are very different as well because all the ones that are leaping bunny approved have all made the commitment to do the right thing in their supply chain but some of them are more activist brands and they will take this issue onto the high street you know the body shop had everyone signing petitions in store Mm -hmm. for example There'll be others that support us. Um, Garnier, for example, the big retail activation for us, highlighting the issue around um, Leaping Bunny. So brands are very different. Some of them are more activist brands and they'll take the message onto the high street. 
others just you know quietly have made that commitment and and that stands in the background so um you know the reliable way of knowing who's doing what is really to check them out on the website um and then follow us on on social so you'll get news then um of new brands that are coming on board because we add a few every month um new brands that are coming through and there's a, a real demand now from brands to get leaping bunny approval um, was it really significant that Australia started to make um, significant changes? Again, territory I know very little about, but I saw that that was a bit of a yardstick moment. Yes, a um, couple of things have happened in Australia that have been really exciting. Um, the first one is that Australia passed their own legislation. So their legislation came into force, um, which is, you know, it's it's a partial ban because it's about new ingredients coming through into cosmetics, can't be animal tested, but that's a start. So we welcome that as a first step. And then the other exciting thing that's happened in that territory is that Choose Cruelty Free, which was an approval program for Australian brands, has merged into Cruelty Free International. So that's really good because now what we're doing is we're working to transition. There are a few hundred brands who were approved under that Choose Cruelty Free program. And we're now working to transition all of them into Leaping Bunny status. So that strengthens the fact that there's one global program to look for. Global growth. What's not to enjoy about that? Um, And and again, there's something I read, I think it was on your website that said animal protection does not involve a trade-off with the people or the planet. Yes, we feel very strongly that animal protection is is core to sustainability. So this should be part of the journey, not as a separate issue, which should very much be part of the journey um, and definitely doesn't involve a trade off with people because we're talking about methods that are modern and humane. So everything that we're calling for should be going in step with progress, which is why we think that it should very much be part of the sustainable development goals that the UN are pushing forward. And again, I know I mentioned it earlier, but I'll just say this because I I had thought genuinely that back in the day, before technology had moved forward, before we'd had all these innovations, that it was the most effective way of uh, road testing a product before human consumption, and that was animal testing. And then I think it's Professor Charles Magel who said, Ask the experimenters why they experiment experiment on animals. And the answer is because the animals are like us. Ask the experimenters why it is morally okay to experiment on animals. And the answer is because the animals are not like us. Animal experimentation rests on a logical contradiction. There's always been that dilemma. We use, well, we use animals because they're very like us. Well, we can we can actually use them because they're not us. Mm-hmm. So there's always been that dilemma. And the, and the truth is, scientifically, you're going to get more reliable results from using non-animal methods. We want to move away from these methods that really are historic and and antiquated and have become embedded in the industry historically, but actually are not the most effective. And that's what's great about development over the last two decades, that we've seen the growth of a lot of really innovative non-animal methods. So I don't believe it ever was a choice between Mm -hmm. safety and great products animal testing and actually it definitely isn't now you get great products quality products without testing on animals which begs the question why do people still do it and I'm my cynical mind's just going to say is it because it's cheap it's actually not cheap that's one of the interesting things about it um because a non-animal method will be um 
cheaper and quicker um, than using an animal. Um, I think we've got a legacy in the system um, from historically, this has always been the way that we have done it. And therefore, for example, a regulator will be used to seeing animal tests when they do their tick box to put a product onto the market. So I think we're just needing to see that legacy roll out of the system. Both companies that have been used to doing this, this is always the way that they have done it. Some individuals who do animal testing who have defended it for their whole careers, that's the way that they've always worked and therefore it's very difficult to change a mindset. Um, and it is built into some of the regulatory frameworks. So as an organisation, we're not only trying to get governments and businesses to change, we're working directly with those regulators to try and take animal testing out of the default tick box approach. Goodness. Okay. I just assumed that it was going to be somehow gargantuanly cost effective, but um, no. No, it's not actually. It's, it's much more likely to be about history and tradition than it is about cost. Wow. Gosh, that's a that's a bit of a humding. I'm not going to not going to lie. That's been a bit of a sucker punch. Okay, we're drawing to the end of our time together. So I think what I would like to do, if that's okay, if there's anything else that you would want listeners to know, please share it now. But also just um, let them know what your mission statement is and how we can all get involved and make sure that we really do help with this progress and we stop animal testing. Great, thank you. It's been super to talk this all through. Actually, <laughs> you realise in a conversation with you, gosh, how much has changed and also how complex it can be. So as an organisation, we are about bringing animal testing to an end internationally. That's our mission. We want to create a world that no longer relies on, on animal testing. So that's what we're about. And there are a number of key ways that listeners can support that mission. Um, go to our website. There may be, for example, things that you want to do around maybe signing a petition, calling on the government, um, to make sure that we protect um, animal testing cosmetics, as we've talked about, but also through shopping. So this is something very directly that, that listeners can do. Get active, get involved with us, get engaged. There's lots of ways that you can get active on the website, but also always look for that leaping bunny symbol when you're shopping. Check our list online. If a brand is not leaping bunny, write to them, ask them why not, and let us know who your favourite brands are so we can get in touch with them. Okay, excellent. Michelle, it's been wonderful to chat to you and to really learn about this because, uh, shame to say it, I've had a position in the beauty industry as an editor and a writer for a long time. And I learned a lot researching this. And I think I was one of those people who thought that we were much further down the line than we are. And it will 100% affect my purchases and how I work moving forward without a shadow of a doubt because you. even if it's even if you want to look at it from a moral argument or whether you want to look at it from a scientific argument or both there's no good reason no this should simply be something that we consign to history we are getting there a step at a time and if everyone really pulls together we can get over that last hurdle but you've asked so many super questions so you've said a couple of times this is something I don't know too much about but look at you you've asked so many really smart and to the point questions because you know this is confusing for people I, I appreciate that but there's a, a very clear route through businesses are now working with us 
we're getting more and more countries to do the right thing. So we need everyone to join us and we need to protect the gains of the past, which is why, you know, if people go to our website and sign up and get involved, they can help us to make sure that we do consign this to the history books. Excellent listeners. I will be putting the links to everything that we have discussed, to the website, to the social media in the show notes. And if you have any questions, please don't be shy about getting in touch and I can perhaps get Michelle on again. But Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. It's been so wonderful. Really nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode you have to answer a couple of questions but we cannot wait to see you there come over and join the conversation thank you so much for listening i will see you on the next one Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.